Everyone was telling me to watch it, and I just didn't until now. I mean, it's not new. I think it only came out uh, in October, but I mean, it's it's November, and by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be 2019, so it's going to seem like I slept on this. Um, <laughs> slept? Slept. Um, to sleep. Um, Mama, uh, I have slept tonight. <laughs> I have slept tonight. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I'm, i of course, talking about The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Um, Holy shit, I've slept on that. I didn't even, no, I expected I you to, it. that's fine. It's um, kind of touching on our earlier topic. Uh, it, is a, it is a horror series based around uh, a haunted house where um, when the people die in the house, their spirits stay there. And they uh, can be perceived at moments by the people who occupy the house. And it is... I have never seen something so terrifying. Because uh, the director, Mike Flanagan, of, I think, Hush, Ouija, Origin of Evil, and Gerald's Game, he directed the series, and I think at, at most he has something like... 13 ghosts in the background of like scenes that you know you'll be watching something and then they'll walk through a doorway and there'll be something all the way in the background that you think is a person and then the scene will continue and it just keeps doing that the entire show you perceive the ghosts only through the the eyes of the yeah yeah through the narrator and it is um it is fantastic. It is great. It is always there on the periphery, but never very cool. Qu- quite yeah. becomes the plot until you know a couple episodes in. At least you mm. know near the end of the first episode, even it it just becomes this yeah. this fucking thing. Um, it's really fucking good though. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I had recently recorded an episode. I had recently recorded an episode for the first time in fucking forever with Disco D, and um, he he just told me he was just like you need to watch it, you need to watch it right now, and I and I did later that night. I started it, and I you know it was so fucking good. So I Hill House. You haven't watched it. I don't want to get into it, but it has a lot of those existentialism mortal. Okay. Just because you know the entire show is about death. The entire show is about death and, and how it lingers in places and how it dissipates in others and the effects they have on people and all of these things. So it's, it's fucking great. I'm finding a perfect segue because this is Netflix still. Netflix. I have a very interesting tidbit about me related to this movie. It's plot. Yes. The movie, The Outlaw King... Yeah. With Chris Pine. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. But it is... Think of a more Games of Thrones sequel to Braveheart. 
Okay. Yeah, that's and fun. And it is the plot is about Robert the Bruce, and uh, he was the the one who eventually united Scotland against England and declared its independence from. All right, England. <laughs> anyway, interesting tidbit. Yeah. According to my great grandfather and my grandmother, we, my family, through them, have a uh, relation to Robert the Bruce of Scotland. No way. Yeah. Yep. You should do one of those um, saliva uh, tests, family tree linking things. That I should actually. I'm considering it just because it's, it's, it's cheap. interesting. It's, it's like twelve to twenty dollars, I think. Yeah. And you you get your entire fucking bloodline all the way back through fucking whenever you know recorded. Jesus. That I mean, yeah, that. <laughs> be, I mean, it'd be cool to think that I. Have some relation to Scottish royalty. Almost like, and, and also at that, like, Scottish fucking, like, Viking dudes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, that's fucking badass. That would that's explain awesome. a lot. Yeah. That would explain a lot. Sure. Yeah. I like that. God. Oh, this is, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut this, but what, what I'm laughing about is, uh, I'm related to the. God, this is the unedited version of the, this is the cut that's kind of. <laughs> I'm this, cutting this. This is the make where. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, I don't know how he showed you this part of the recording, but maybe it's because I died. I'm cutting all. And he's trying to honor my memory <laughs> that he's related to. Crazy to think about cutting that entire fucking thing. I can't talk about my fucking history on on the podcast um, because I'm not that person. I'm not my great grandfather, but I do agree with some of the things. I'm just fucking. Yeah. Uh, Next thing I, I wanted to fucking talk about. <laughs> no more no more acknowledgement of the past four minutes. Uh, the next thing I partake... Par- I have partaken in between the last recording was uh, I also saw Overlord, which I wanted to talk about briefly, which is kind of funny because it's about Nazis experimenting on uh, French villagers and American vets in order to create an immortal army for the third Reich Mm. and American troopers get dropped into that situation in that village and have to overcome it. And the cast is led by a fantastic fucking, uh, young African American actor who I have never seen before in my life. Um, the other lead, which I have seen in episodes of, I think, Black Mirror, is Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt Russell, who, I kid you not, looks and sounds exactly like Kurt Russell circa 1984, The Thing. There are just some scenes where the grizzled jawline comes out just a little bit and he grittily says something and you're like, fuck, that's his papa! He's acting like his daddy. And it's just great. And um, I don't want to... Wait wanna... a minute. I've seen Wyatt Russell before, but where have I seen him? I would say Black Mirror for most people. Yeah, there's that, but I think there's something else. But he's I'm also... Gonna... He's been in a ton of shit. Really fucking good. I don't want to talk about it too much because I know you haven't seen it and you, and you absolutely should. If you are a fan of Wolfenstein or action adventure like zombie flicks super fucking good um it is grade a b class cinema it has several horror qualities it is not a it's not like a horror movie necessarily it's just um 
It has horror elements. It's very uh, tangible as far as genre goes because it is a dedicated period piece, uh, which is funny because um, all of the actors buy into every fucking minute. It's a it's a genuine war film, but then they actually start to deal with like uh, undead uh, soldiers and shit. So yeah. it's just so it's just like fuck, you know. But anyway, uh, really fucking cool. Go check it out and also watch Haunting of Hill House because. Uh, is one of the best things I've watched in a long time. Fucking loved it. Fucking loved it. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we uh, get into this meaty? No, I think we should... Meaty, my matey? We should probably get into... The meat. The third part. Is it the third part? Uh-huh. I thought we read... Part... Technically, this is like the fifth part. Oh, okay, I meant the third episode. Third episode, yeah, that's where we're at right now. Um, if you're listening to this, this is Lots of Pasta, episode 110, with my boy Tenron Otrin. Uh, we are doing the left-right game, and it has been quite a fucking adventure. Do you, do you agree? I've been... I'm really looking forward to reading more of this. Part of me... so much more. Part of me wanted, like, first question to ask you, like, please, dear God, tell me that you haven't, in the last couple weeks, just gone out of your way and read the rest of the story. Good, because I've had to... I've not even Googled it. I've had to stop myself. But I have talked to people about it. Oh, that's cool. Like, at work. Show show them the first episode and then ask them about it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I just want to send my boss a link. No, you don't. Yeah, no, no. You don't want to do that. I, I, I want to send my boss, even my boss, a link. It's that good. Oh, no, it is that good. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But like quality wise, like we talk about drugs a lot. You don't want to send this to oh, your boss. Oh, well, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> well, my one boss, let me tell you. Oh, God. I've talked. Everyone in between our episodes has heard about this show because um, heard about this series. I mean, um, because we've had a lot of new people or people who haven't been around in a while and this is, like, the best thing we've been doing uh, post-episode 100. You know, Baraska was good, but I've looked forward to the left-right game far more. And, like, every time we read it, I'm just like, ooh, that was tasty. Like, that was good <laughs> yeah. fucking pasta. And I'm always, like, um, amped to see where they go next because it it is a wide breadth. You know, there there is so much to be discovered in, in what can only be categorized as a buddy adventure on the road flick with with sci-fi elements. It's very... Uh, I could see Channel Zero doing it, you know? Like, I could watch it. Well, I, I, I touched on it at the end of your last episode. Um, yeah. yeah. It has, like, a film-like quality. It's like a... Um, it has... It just has a movie script-like quality, and it's very... Uh, it's very fun. Yeah. And the character voices... The character voices are fun. We should, I, we should I haven't do a been quick able, recap. I haven't been able to um, to really dissect most of the voices and where and where we go. I think we we give a bunch of actor uh, ideas. Yeah, we did. Um, but but that's still not like what we're doing or what we're hearing. But um, you said a young Will Smith for Apollo. <laughs> that's not that's not how you read it. No, um, not at all. My no. Apollo's like this, right? <laughs> right? What? What's his name? Rob? <laughs> right, Rob? <laughs> yeah. So uh, your number one is Alice. The, Alice, the, yes. The, the British. The journalist who yeah. doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I'm probably going to die. 
I, dear, I hope Rob is pranking me, but if he's not, something is horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's how the first episode ends. I hope oh, this dear. isn't real. <laughs> um, Ace is dead. Rob, I'm Rob. Ace is dead. I'm Rob, and I'm really fucking old. And Rob, what are you doing? I don't I, I've become I British don't know Siri. I where I am. Someone say a command. I always gotta. I gotta say like a. <laughs> yeah, you know Siri. Uh, I always gotta think of like Rip Torn now uh, to to get myself back. Every episode, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, intergalactic kegger. I have to. I have to talk like this. Uh, you ready for? Uh, you ready for a story there? Uh, what's What's your fucking nickname? What's your fucking nickname? I don't know. Tenron. No, not you, you fucking idiot. I'm talking to Alice. Uh, I'm begging your pardon. Pardon. Bristol. 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 My word. That is, I mean, outrageous. Do Apollo. <laughs> yeah, Rob. Don't you think that's a little off? <laughs> you sound like Seinfeld. <laughs> Who? I don't know. Just like a character from Seinfeld. Oh, God. <laughs> Like a mix of Kramer and... Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love it, though. Um, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, they're from Wisconsin. <laughs> and I went straight Wisconsin for, for Clyde. And then Bonnie is just a little bit lighter in the same exact tone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a little... I'm, I'm Bonnie, and I'm Clyde. <laughs> Lilith, Lilith and, I can't say the name, the L, the L name, Lilith. Lilith. Lilith and Eve... Yes. Lilith is like a, uh, well, totally, me. it's a little Fred Armisen from uh, Portlandia, but also like, <laughs> hey, look, we got something going on right now. And, it is. Uh, you know, Eve, she's just not like, I don't care what's going on. I, I never give a fuck. We're probably going to die. I don't give fuck you. Oh, Eve, you, fuck don't, you. you don't mean that. Fuck you, Lilith. <laughs> Uh, Blue Jay, I kind of did like a, like a, um... She was creepy at the end of the last episode. Yeah, she, um, I wouldn't say creepy as much as, yeah. like, just outed and now, like, a, like, a bitch. <laughs> yeah, a bitch. She, um, I, here, where did I say I feel like, um, uh, what's her face from Halloween? Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I feel like I'm just like, Rob, none of this is fucking real. All right, listen. This, I'm I'm an old woman and I know what is real, and your caravan, your caravan of cars, they're fucking gone. All right, this is bullshit. These are all actors. You're trying to say Ace is dead? You're trying to say Ace is dead? Motherfucker. And then I would ask you how Ace's voice goes. Motherfucker, there ain't no Laurel Ingalls around here to help you, Paul. You understand. That's not your ace voice. Hey, half pint. <laughs> Y'all ever watched Little House on the Prairie growing up? Do you think we're going to see Chuck again? The the radio. Greenwald. Chuck Greenwald. Um, Chuck Greenwald. You're listening to Jubilation Radio. You we're here I, for you. You and I could have been disc jockeys somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And this and this next song, for all you lovely cats out there. You uh, said it. Pale, pale. Captain. <laughs> I'm gonna now I have to cut the entire joke though, because it won't make sense. Um <laughs> fuck. That was, 
<laughs> that's good though. It's wait. It's part of the the um, unedited cut <laughs> no, that you're saying. There is because, no unedited cut. Well, because like ten minutes ago, I said, "Wow, if if he never deletes this, <laughs> then th- whoever's listening to this, he really wants you to see this. It'll never make it." It'll never happen. Well, this is part of it because it's <laughs> in time for these announcements. Yeah, we're here to play that soft, melodious tunes while you suckle your girlfriend's TD in the back seat of your stanza. Now sit back, relax, and don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's the farmer's daughter, and he will fuck you up. <laughs> We could have been disc jockeys. We could have been radio hosts in another life. What if you and I, I... I know... All that I'm saying, all that I... The only point I want to make before I turn off my phone and give up on this plot... Yeah, yeah. Um, the next weird character oh, in the series I am taking... That's you, Cap. <laughs> yeah, that is me. Captain. Because you had Chuck. <laughs> Greenwald. Chuck Greenwald. None of the uh, none of the Jubilation people talked. They all just looked no, creepy. It was, it was like it was like a Tim Burton flick. Yeah, like they were all yeah, just yeah, really yeah. fucked up. But then they started following them. Yeah, uh, you know they they take Ace, they drag him back by a hook to to Jubilation. Oh, Jesus, he's not even confirmed killed. No, definitely not. He is now just another one of those screaming voices that you hear on the radio. Jesus Christ, crazy, right? So we lost Ace. Um... Ace was uh, Ace was kind of an idiot. He showed up in what a Lambo, yeah, or a, something or so, something, sporty. something sporty that didn't make sense. And Rob was Rob already told him to turn around, and you know, and then he ignored the hitchhiker in part one. We found that out in part two. That the reason he was so spooked going forward is he didn't stop to get the hitchhiker, and the hitchhiker appeared in his backseat and then immediately started shouting crazy shit in his ear. That spooked him. So now he knows the road is real, and he acknowledges it and talks to Rob about it, and then dies because of it. Yeah. Rob, I think, gives him a moment to say, like, hey, you know, like, ride with us. We have room in the in the truck. Like, uh-huh. leave the Lambo. And he dies with that Lambo. Yeah. Or, well... For the Lambo. Yeah, no, he didn't die at the Lambo or with the Lambo. The Lambo is still technically there, I think. They didn't tow the car. They towed the person. They they destroyed the car. Oh, you're right. They ran into it. Yeah. And he got jammed. Well, it got crunched a little, but I don't think by just... It's probably still drivable, is I guess what I'm saying. Uh Um, But it didn't seem like they were being followed. It didn't seem like any jubilation people were going to like get in it and chase them or anything. It seemed like they were a self-contained like universe, like a pocket universe yeah. of just fucked up shit. And, um, and that was their existence. They were just uh, self-contained. Anyone who crossed through, they would kill. Um, they were running out of houses. So maybe they were eating or killing each other. Yeah. Know, that stands to reason what their days are like. I don't fucking know. I don't want to think about it because jubilation was fucking creepy um i wonder what happens next yeah it's gonna be weird i think this is technically like part five this is like the fifth post or the fifth update i think we did two in your first episode and two in your last episode i think i got soy sauce everywhere yeah i did can confirm got soy sauce kill confirm (laughs) slayer swat Hi guys, it's been a long week, but I finally got to my computer to post the next log. 
I've been working overtime to afford both London rent and Christmas presents. Hasn't been fun. Anyway, I can't say much more since this log's one of the longer ones. I'll try and get the next one up a little sooner. Thanks for all your help. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Piece of shit. This is one of my longer ones, so... The draft one. Uh, oh, November 2nd, 2017. It's like a year ago last week. The next morning, everything's the same. It's strange. We're usually so blind to the quiet consistency in our everyday lives, only really taking notice once something changes. Yet, as I stir a spiral of honey on into my oatmeal and glance around the group, it's notable lack of change that truly stands out. Since the previous evening, the atmosphere surrounding the convoy and the demeanor of each member doesn't seem to have altered in the slightest. The night has fallen short in its role as a grand meridian, failing to partition the past and the future, and bringing with it neither perspective nor closure. It's as if yesterday has spilled, like a toppled brush pot, onto the next morning, coloring everything with the same temperaments, fears, and divisions. L Jesus Christ. Lilith. Lilith. I, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, okay it, that you gotta it, say it like I swallow it. Yeah. Lilith. 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 Lilith and Eve sit facing each other, their legs crossed on a plastic ground sheet. Neither are saying very much, albeit for vastly different reasons. Lilith is still preoccupied by her own smoldering indignation, whereas Eve looks overcome with a subtle but pervasive dread. Neither have taken food from Rob's stove, a decision I suspect Lilith made for the both of them. Apollo, Bonnie, and Clyde are across from me. Apollo is making conversation, attempting to revive his usual good humor. Bonnie and Clyde help him out, laughing at his jokes and smiling along with his stories. Blue Jay? hasn't stepped out of her car all morning, eating her own rations and maintaining a welcome distance from the rest of the group. Her eyes meet mine as I look her way, and I'm treated to a sharp, sardonic dismissal. And Rob. Rob is attending to the practicalities of the road, serving breakfast, then topping up the Wrangler from one of the hulking jerry cans. It's clear the routine is comforting to him, I can easily imagine this is how he deals with a great many problems, compartmentalizing, recasting himself as a blunt instrument engaged in a set of necessary processes. He's made himself too busy for grief, and I will, sorry, and, and he'll likely remain so until the feeling fades. As a coping mechanism goes, it isn't remotely healthy. I should know. I'm doing pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, Clyde, could I get a few words? Clyde looks up from his food, a little surprised. You want me? <laughs> yeah, if that's not too much trouble. Oh no no no, no trouble at all. Uh, you you wanna you wanna do it now? I, I'm I'm not too hungry. I no me neither. That, that would be great, thank you. Would you mind if we moved away from the stove? Clyde nods keenly, putting my bowl to one side. I take Clyde to the edge of the apple grove. Nobody looks after us. How are you holding up, Bristol? Getting there. How about you? I'm, uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting by. 
So, can, can I ask, why did you choose Bonnie and Clyde as your call signs? <laughs> well, it came pretty easy. Uh, we used to play Outlaws when we were kids. Uh, one time, Bonnie stuck up a bank. <laughs> really? Well, no. It, it was an ice cream parlor, but Bonnie was pretending it was a bank, and then she ran in, holding her hand like a gun, told Mrs. Guilford it was a stick-up. Wow. That doesn't seem like her. Oh, no. No, she, she was a wild child. Always living in a story. Anyway. We got free Sundays and a new nickname in town after that. When Rob told us about the call signs, it was the first thing we thought of. It's a good choice. I paused, letting the previous subject fade before launching into the next one. All things considered, this may be the last time me and Clyde are on such casual speaking terms. Bonnie told me she talked to the hitchhiker. Clyde's disposition shifts. There's sudden alertness that wasn't there before, rushing to the fore in immediate response to my words. In the following silence, at the center of his wide-eyed stare, an educated guest suddenly becomes much more. When, when did she tell you? I'm sorry, Clyde. She didn't. You just did. I can almost see the stone fall in Clyde's throat. The deep burning embarrassment and hurt that comes along from being deceived from a close secret you you held getting out into the world. I don't feel exceptional either. Lying to Clyde, bringing him away from Bonnie under the guise of an interview, beyond the personal abhorrence, it also flies in the face of everything I've tried to be as a journalist. Clyde can't bring himself to talk, so I press forward. I think it might be best if you call Bonnie over here. Nodding vaguely, Clyde wordlessly shuffles back to Bonnie, whispering in her ear. She puts a hand on his shoulder and helps herself up. Whatever he's told her, she doesn't seem angry, as she joins us beneath the shade of the apple trees. I didn't want to cause any trouble. Uh, and, and Clyde's been looking forward to this trip for so long, I didn't want us to turn back. I'm, I'm sorry. Fuck, dude. What? happened, Bonnie? I just said two words. I, I, I wasn't talking to him. I was doing what Rob said, but then he... I just said, bless you. That's all it was. That's it? Well, I... He thanked me, and then he was just so easy to talk to, and I thought, well, I've already talked to him. What, what will a few more words do? She, she, uh, she hardly said anything else. What about him? Did he say anything? Bonnie starts to smile, the same way she did last night. A dreamy, enthused expression glowing with reminiscent joy. He told me about this wonderful place. Wasn't it wonderful, Martin? Bonnie. Just a few houses by the sea. But he made it sound so nice. Bonnie, please. What's wrong? I can talk about it, right? When I look back to Clyde, his lips are firmly pressed together, his facial muscles tight. He's holding something back, but what slips through betrays a poignant dismay. It's all you talk about, Bonnie. You 
you you mentioned it a few times after, and and since jubilation, you ain't stopped. Are you guys talking about Wintry Bay? Clyde grimaces and Bonnie grins when they hear the name. Bonnie, are are we heading there? The hitchhiker said it's on our way. I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing it. I can't say I feel the same, and it's safe to say Clyde agrees with me. Before now, I'd only heard Bonnie mention Wintry Bay on two occasions, but it sounds like she's talked about it a whole lot more. I sympathize with Clyde for what he's had to deal with. However, the gross irresponsibility of his actions are not lost on me either. Does Rob know? I didn't want to. You didn't want to trouble him, or did you just not want to turn you around? I'm alright, really. Well, either way, you need to tell Rob before we hit the road. Clyde shuffles uncomfortably. I'm not going to do it for you, but too much has happened on this trip already. Ace, is this place is dangerous, okay? There's no place for lies anymore. I hope that Clyde doesn't see the irony, given that I've roundly deceived him in the past five minutes. He nods, takes Bonnie's hand, and walks slowly towards the Wrangler. Rob is loading the last of the fold-up chairs into the back of the car. The conversation doesn't last long, but by the end of it, Rob rests his hand on Bonnie's shoulder and sends them on their way. He doesn't look mad. Perhaps he just has other things on his mind. That's the second thing I've done today that's inherently non-journalistic. I was supposed to be a fly on the wall for this story, a passenger recording events with objective detachment, without my own influence seeping into proceedings. In many ways, I wish I still was. But the stakes are higher now, and those secrets make for good editorial, they're also potentially damaging to the safety of the group. Following the incident with Ace, I'm slightly less concerned with an unbiased story than I am with getting home to tell it. Rob looks like he's about to make his morning address. The group wanders over, some more reluctantly than others, and Rob gathers them all around the Wrangler. First things first, I'm the realist. I want to say that, well, tempers got a little heated last night. And that I'm sorry for my part in all of that. I want to thank you for coming with me this far. And if you want to turn back, well, that's just fine. The group stays quiet. If you are heading back, I'd say if you travel one by one, be sure to stay on the radios, retrace the route and follow all the rules that applied when you was getting here. Now, can I get a show of hands who's wanting to keep going on the road? I observe my compatriots closely. The definites will be Bonnie and Clyde, who have already implied they want to continue, and also Blue Jay, who feels she has nothing to worry about from the road. Apollo is in the wind, and Lilith and Eve are probably a split vote. All in all, this could be the moment our convoy splits in half. Blue Jay throws her hand up lazily. Bonnie and Clyde predictably raise theirs. Apollo raises his a few moments later. Hey, I've, I've come this far, right? <laughs> that leaves Lilith and Eve. Oh, speaking narrator British, sorry. That's okay. It was so damn good. You're, you're totally <laughs> digging it, I know. 
Uh, it's just I'm not gonna do it when I read mine. <laughs> Whatever, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm just a spankable idiot. For punishment, man. I'm fucking so, such a sinner. I've sinned so much. Just shut up and read the story. <laughs> After sharing a brief glance with her friend, Lilith raises her hand and Eve follows suit, albeit with an air of trepidation. I'm surprised that no one's turning back. After everything that happened yesterday, but it's clear everyone has their own reasons. I'm just glad I don't have to say goodbye to anyone. I set about trying to divine everyone's motives for continuing on the road, but I quickly stop and I realize everyone's looking at me. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm going. That way. I gestured to the road ahead and raised my hand relu- redundantly. I think it's funny that she uses redundantly because she's talking about trying to be a, a fly on the wall, that she realizes that, like, her decision actually matters. She's a part of the group, like... Yeah. Well, oh... Well, what voice is that? Well, Cap'n. How were you going to read Rob just now? Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's everything then. Oh, we got a fair way to travel today. There ain't much to see. Well, okay. I guess that's everything. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I guess that's everyone, then. We got a fair way to travel today, but there ain't much to see. Just follow the rules and take things as they come. I guess. As we pull out, I start to feel a little restless. The sedentary nature of travel is beginning to take its toll, and I'm starting to feel over-familiar with the Wrangler's passenger seat. I'm glad that I got a chance to stretch my legs last night. Rolling Elysian cornfields span the roadside for the next five hours. Turns are few and far between, but Rob's attention never wavers. I only manage to grasp his attention briefly. I'm curious, is it beginning to not look like planet Earth? No, it still looks earthly. Yeah. Okay. When when she says Elysian cornfields, that just means, like, sprawling Midwest. You know, like, um, just farmland. And I think I think there's an otherworldly quality at all times, just like in Jubilation. But I think it's very clear that they still think they exist on some form of Earth. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Dimensionality speaking, I think it's at least close to the topography of Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Alice. Aren't Jeeps supposed to have poor fuel economy? This is Rob. He's Rob, everyone. He's Rob. (laughs) Bringing it back. He has to say it again. I am Rob. Are you playing? I'm playing Rob. Playing Rob. Oh, okay. I'm playing Rob. I choose Rob. I want it to be Rob. (laughs) They ain't the best. That's why I always bring gas along. It's just the fuel gauge has hardly moved since we left this morning. (laughs) You noticed that, huh? I was wondering if you were gonna. Why? Uh, what have you done to it? Nothing. It's the road. Makes fuel burn slower. Seriously? Ain't just that, either. You finish your food this morning? No, why? Hardly anyone did, except Apollo. More you go, less you need to keep going. Okay, time out. If we think about this, like, 
based on physics, that means they are slowing down in their experience of time. You could also say speeding up, though. Yeah? It means that they're consuming less, but it means more. But I'm, I'm thinking it like a stretch out would be slowing it, creating more space, effectively. I think of it as if the road is an eternal thing traveling at its own rate, then certain minute things in a human's life become less needed, organically speaking. Okay. Materialistically. Mm. It's relative. Time is relative. Time's a construct. Anyway, let's continue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Less fuel is needed. <laughs> More fuel efficiency is... Uh, that's the, the screen future. It's fuel efficiency feature. and time. That's yeah, what Elon we're talking Musk. about right now. Yeah. Jesus. Wait. You said the road pushes against you. Yep. But now you're making it sound like it's helping us along. Yep. So it's hostile whilst also incentivizing us. That sounds odd to me. Sounds like life to me. Reasons to stop, reasons to keep going. I suppose that makes sense. Despite his well-documented obsession with the secrets of the road, Rob seems to have a strangely laissez-faire attitude to the internal logic. It's like the road doesn't need to make perfect sense to him. Or at least he doesn't expect it to, yet. As the fresh rural air drifts in through the windows, I lose myself in the hypnotic endlessness of the passing fields. I wonder how many eyes have seen these vist vistas. I wonder where we are. Not geographically, but in a grander sense. Are we still in the world as I know it? Are we beyond it? Below it? Or have we just slipped through the cracks? And to some... Intermediate domain. You know what I like most about this that I'm starting to realize now? One of my favorite things I've ever read, and this is going to sound like really classically douchey, is uh, The Odyssey. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> the Greek... Homer. Uh, the Greek tale, you know, the Iliad. Like, the, um, the captain who gets lost at sea for, like, 30 years trying to get home and just encounters mythological bullshit after myth mythological bullshit. Um, I mean, he's lost at sea against his will, whereas the people in the left-right game are choosing to find this outcome, choosing to get to this discovery. But what I'm starting to notice in a narrative sense is that they follow the same kind of guidelines. It's like, it's not quite mortal, it's not quite godlike, it's just otherworldly, and that's scary enough. Yeah. Rob slows the car down to a crawl. A precaution he takes before most corners. My eyes wander gently back into the Wrangler, finally resting on the rear view. There's something behind us. A humanoid figure shrouded in the soft focus of considerable distance. It staggers quickly toward the convoy, unsure on its own feet. Rob, what is that? Rob follows my gaze to the rearview mirror. His brow furrows. Something new. Rob grabs, grabs the receiver... Before he can make an announcement, the speaker splutters with static, followed by Eve's frantic voice. Guys, uh, there's something behind us, guys. Something's coming after us. Uh, Blue Jay, can you see it? Blue Jay doesn't answer. I doubt she considers it worth her time. A squealing panic rings out over the radio as Eve calls again. Is it from jubilation? Guys, 
Guys? Stay calm, everyone. Let's pick up the pace a little. Rob lets his foot rest heavier on the gas. The Wrangler gently accelerates with the rest of the convoy, eagerly mounting our speed. <laughs> hey, uh, who was that, Rob? <laughs> he's gonna laugh even when he's dying, huh? That's how, yeah. you're, that's how you're gonna read him? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I just got stabbed! <laughs> hey, uh, who is that guy, Rob? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I ain't so sure. But we got a turn coming up. Let's just get ourselves off the road, see if he follows. The figure continues to stumble toward us. Its arms hang crookedly in the air, and as it comes into sharper focus, I can just make out that there's something wrong with its face. Guys, speed up, please. Please. Calm down, Eve. It's coming for us! I can sympathize with Eve's panic. I've had the luxury of traveling at the head of the convoy. I was the first across when that godforsaken pine was dropped across the road. Eve is now second to last, relying on three other cars to make their escape before she can follow. Ace had to wait for the rest of us, and it cost him everything. Now, Eve and Lilith are one car closer to being where he was. It's face. Oh my god. Oh my god. Guys, please. Jesus, shut up. (laughs) Hey, that is not helping. Rob, it's moving pretty fast. We... (laughs) We stay the course. It ain't caught up just yet. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! Rob's warnings are cut short by the screeching of tires. Eve swerves out of the convoy's neat, single-file line and onto the empty stretch of road beside us. The car accelerates past Bonnie and Clyde, past Apollo. I get a brief glimpse of Eve and Lilith as our windows align. Lilith is yelling at Eve, trying to get her to calm down. Eve is screaming into the air, the puppet of her own frenetic terror. The car shoots past us and down the long road ahead. Rob swears and picks up the radio. Fuck! The figure continues to lurch toward us. Ferryman to Eve and Lilith, stop the car right now. Eve, slow down! Eve, goddammit, you're gonna- I stare through the windshield as their car stops. Not a slow, grinding deceleration, but an unequivocal, immediate halt. Their bodies are thrown forwards against the safety glass as the car becomes utterly motionless. Rob, what's happening? I told him to be careful. Why is... what's... I no longer need an answer. I realize that it's written right in front of me, etched into the side of the road. A brief gap in the endless rows of golden corn, only a little wider than the Wrangler itself. A dirt track that leads off to the left about 10 meters ahead of us, about 15 meters behind Lilith and Eve. I now understand why Rob was being so careful and why Eve should have been as well. They've missed the next turn. Ferryman to all cars, I found the turn. Let's make it quick. Eve and Lilith, you stay in the car. I'm coming back to get you both. Rob flicks on his turn signal, preparing the group for the sharp left corner and slams his foot on the accelerator. Lilith and Eve disappear behind a wall of corn as we pull down the dirt track. Rob keeps driving until enough space is left for the rest of the group. Once they're all safely pulled in, Rob climbs into the back of the car, grabs his rifle, and jumps out onto the path. I quickly climb out and follow behind him. When we arrive on the main road, the figure has covered a considerable distance 
finally drawing near enough for me to see what's wrong with its face. At a certain point, midway across the crown of the head, running in a straight line down past the cheeks and under the jaw, the head simply stops. It is like the foremost section of his skull has been sliced cleanly off and has bent inwards, his entire face concave and shrouded completely in a deep shadow, a ghastly organic hood that seems deeper than physics should allow. That isn't all that's wrong with the picture, however. The man's outstretched arms are bent in several places. Dark purple contusions blossom at every unnatural joint as if his arms had been broken multiple times. His leg is also bent to one side, the reason for the irregular walk that still carries him toward us. Rob looks shaken as he raises the rifle to his shoulder, bidding the figure turn around. The man ignores Rob's demand, continuing its march. Even when a bullet hits it square in the chest, the figure hardly slows down. We're forced to jump out of the way as it continues down the road. Even Lilith cowering in their locked car as it approaches. Fear shifts into confusion as the creature passes them by and continues down the road. It's as if he doesn't even know we're here. Rob breathes a sigh of relief, lowers the gun, runs back to the rest of the convoy. My, the moment he leaves, my mind notes something peculiar. It's an utterly bizarre observation, especially considering the many otherworldly facets of the retreating creature. There's something familiar about it. Specifically, it's fashion sense. The shirt, the dirt-covered jeans, they aren't too similar to the ones I found in the brown leather duffel bag, resting atop the block of C4. Reaching into my pockets, pulling out my phone, I scroll through my list of contacts as the man heaves himself down the road. I call the second number I discovered last night, the one in, in the Nokia's received calls list, the number that likely belonged to whoever created the bomb and whoever was driving the car that day. After a few moments, a ringtone disrupts the creature's silent walk. I end the call, realizing how reckless I've been and, and praying that the strange figure doesn't see my action as an excuse to turn around. I'm lucky this time, at least. The dial tone cuts out and the figure continues to stumble its way toward the horizon. The next thing I hear is a scream. Scanning for its source, I see Eve, her door open, and with one foot out of the car, she's frantically pulling at her leg, seemingly unable to lift it from the tarmac. Eve, what's going on? With shaking fingers, Eve clumsily unties her shoelace and lifts her leg back into the car. Her boot stays in place, and it's possible to make out a slight elasticity to the road below it, a depression in the tarmac around its base. Slowly and steadily, the sole of the boot disappears into the road. Eve watches as the dark tarmac slowly sucks the boot down, enveloping the heel and dragging it beneath the surface. The thought comes to Eve the same moment as it does to me. We both fix our eyes on the back of the car, where, same, where some soft indent is gradually developing around the tires. Eve's terrified scream is drowning out by the blare of revving engines. I jump out of the way as the rest of the convoy reverse out of the corner and back onto the main road. Blue Jay, Bonnie and Clyde, Apollo, and finally Rob 
park themselves chaotically around me. Rob jumps out and approaches. They ain't pulled back yet? As soon as he asks the question, he sees the sight before him. Only the neck of Eve's boot remains above the ground, sinking even further into the tarmac. The road gradually but voraciously churns at the car tires, consuming the rubber and swallowing the lowest edge of the wheel cover. In the midst of such an impossible sight, all I can say to Rob is, they're trying. Lilith and Eve hit the gas hard. The engine growls at the road as it furiously attempts to reverse, the undercarriage creaking and groaning from the sheer mechanical strain. The wheels themselves, however, don't rotate an inch. The tires belong to the road now, taken by the unknowable force forces that continue to drag them into the earth. The engine chokes, defeated, and I can see Eve screaming into her fists as the roadway calmly continues its work. God damn it, we can't reach him. Tell him to get on top of the car. <laughs> what the? What's happening, Rob? Bristol! Tell him to get on the roof! Rob marches off to the Wrangler. The rest of the convoy gather on the road, just in line with a left turn, where we assume it's safe to stand. Interesting. Everyone saving from Blue Jay looks on in anxious silence. Eve, Lilith, I need you to get on top of the car, okay, guys? We're sinking. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, we're... Eve, I'm trying to help you. Rob's working on something, but you need to climb onto the roof of the car. Don't think about anything else. Open the door, wind down your window, and use it as a foothold. Eve is still deaf with worry. Lilith doesn't hesitate. She places one hand on the upper rim of her open door, one foot on the base of the open window, and her free hand palm down on the car's roof. The door rocks on its hinges as she puts weight on it. In one strong motion, she pushes herself backwards until she's sitting atop the car. The tarmac has, slow, has swallowed its way to the car's low, lower chassis. Chassis. Yeah, we had... Why? It was the same word. Chassis. Eve stares, transfixed by the road, as it pulls her ever closer towards it. Sarah, look at me. Lilith is crouching on the car's roof, her hand reaching down to Eve. Her friend's voice seems to be the only thing that can break Eve's fearful commune, commune with the waiting abyss. She turns around, Lilith's hand a few inches from her face. Get up here. Her eyes brimming with tears, fought back by rapid, shallow breaths. Eve grabs Lilith's hand. Lilith gets a, a solid handhold around the lip of her, door, her own doorway and heaves Eve up and onto the roof of the car. Eve shrieks a little as the door swings, putting all her trust into Lilith's grip. She joins her friend on the roof, just as the road consumes the lower edge of the door, spilling inside the car's cabin like magma. Damn it, they're too far away. Rob has returned for the Wrangler, rapidly uncoiling a braid of long, light blue climber's rope. I'd seen it rest in the back of the car during the trip, never once thinking that I'd see it used. Rob threads one end of the rope through a, a carabiner and secures it in the place with a tight knot. He holds it to his side as he shouts to Lilith and Eve, Okay, listen. We only got one shot at this. I'm going to throw you the hook, and you're going to catch it and yank it taut, okay? Then you can hook it onto something and climb your way over. Don't let it fall, okay? 
Lilith looks pale. She nods before clambering to her feet and stepping to the back of the car. Eve watches on, her hands wrapped around her legs. Well, here goes nothing. Rob begins to swing the rope over his head. A large, undulating circle that quickly levels out as the weight of the carabiner eases the rope onto a flat plane. I instinctively shrug down as the rope passes over my head, swinging faster and faster. Gritting his teeth, his face reddening with the towering pressure of this single throw, Rob lets the rope fly. It arcs in the air like a cast fishing line towards Lilith's outstretched hands. I watch it pass in front of her, the metal of the carabiner glinting in the sun as it falls. She catches it, grasping the rope in her shaking hands. Despite her victory, I see her face contort with sudden and striking panic. She holds the rope high over her head, staring wildly down at the road between us. Following her eyes, my heart falls. She caught the rope, but she didn't pull it taut fast enough. Even with Rob continuing to hold his end above his head, the rope had too much slack when it landed in Lilith's hands. It's fallen into a sloping arc, the lowest point of which has scraped against the tarmac. It only rests a few precious seconds before Lilith finds herself unable to pull it free. It sinks into the ground. The rope starts to brush gently against Rob's fingers before he throws it to the ground. God damn it! Okay, if I just got something else, something something we can put down. The empty jerry cans? They could step on- Too unstable. And we'd have to throw them perfect. Okay, 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 okay. The road has claimed almost half the car now, eating up the license plate as the vehicles- as the vehicle sinks lower and lower. Lilith looks helplessly on as we deliberate, Eve crying her eyes out behind her. We could, uh, we could get a ground sheet. We ain't got one that'll stretch. Well, what about... I'm I'm going out there, Rob. (laughs) Apollo's blank statement catches us all by surprise. Turning in his direction, I note a direct and powerful confidence in his manner. They aren't going to last much longer out there. It takes a second for the road to get you. That's how they got so far ahead before they stopped. I drive out, they jump on my car, then we climb back. I ain't got more rope. You got the winch, right? (laughs) If I drive out with it bunched up on my lap, I can make sure it never goes slack. Then, I hook it up to to my roof bars and uh, get the hell out of Dodge. (laughs) You got the best car for it, but I should drive out there. Uh, you You need to work the winch. Bonnie and Clyde can't climb back. He skips over his rationale for not choosing Blue Jay, not wanting to waste time on a foregone conclusion. Uh, what about me? I'm lighter. The climb back would be easier. Oh, but y- you can't help them when they're jumping over. We're wasting time. You know it's a good idea. Rob takes a moment to consider it, his mind fighting for a better solution. You'd better get back here, Apollo. Don't plan on hanging around there, Rob. <laughs> Apollo grins before sprinting to his rover. <laughs> You're going to die laughing as Apollo. Apollo grins. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to die. Before sprinting to his rover. Rob, wasting no time, runs to the winch, switches it to to manual, and unspools the heavy-duty rope. His hands cross over as he drops each new length onto the ground. I turn back to Lilith. Did you hear that, Lilith? She's huddled next to Eve, attempting to comfort her, 
as the car's headlights disappear into the depths of the road. Her head snaps round when I call. What's... what's happening? Apollo's coming out to you. You have to jump onto his car and climb back over, okay? Okay. She hurries back to Eve, grasping her friend's shoulders as she relays the plan. Okay, that'll hold. Rob's climbing down from the hood of the Wrangler. He's fed the winch cable around and through the lighting rig, ensuring a good level of clearance on the way out, and more importantly, for the climb back. The rope has already been fed through Apollo's driver's side window. Bonnie and Clyde are helping to throw Apollo's baggage out of the trunk and onto the road behind him. The less he has to lose on his trip, the better. I'll set up over here. Okay, see you on the other side, Rob. Apollo slams his foot onto the accelerator. The Range Rover bolts forward and powers toward the threshold. The engine roars as he rockets past the left turn and keeps on going into the territory beyond. In the few precious seconds he has, he crosses the distance between the two terrified girls. The winch rope streams through the window and then suddenly pulls tight. Apollo is thrown forward as the car comes to an uncompromising stop, roughly a meter's distance from Lilith and Eve. The impact looks brutal, but Apollo somehow manages to keep a hold on the rope and inexplicably his sense of humor. (laughs) God damn it. Ah, I don't think I got the insurance for this. (laughs) Clumsily, still feeling the after effects of the sudden stop, Apollo throws open his door and starts to climb out. Taking the slack, Rob! My attention fixed on Apollo, I hear the mechanical whir as the winch kicks into life. As Apollo climbs out of his car and up onto the roof, he affixes the hook at the end of the winch to one of his roof bars, securing it in place. A few moments later, the rope is pulled straight back. Apollo steps down onto the hood of his car, his arms outstretched to the girls. It's a short jump, but they'll have to make it from a lower elevation, the trunk of the car already sinking to the ground. Okay, come on, I got you. We've got to move fast now. Lilith stands up, helping Eve to her feet before stepping down onto the rapidly disappearing trunk. Okay, okay. Lilith yelps as she throws herself towards Apollo. Her front foot plants itself on the hood of the car, her other leg flailing in the air behind her. Apollo grabs her by the arms and yanks her onto the car, holding her close to him as she gets her bearing on the smooth metal of the hood. When she's stable, he lets her crawl up onto the roof, where she immediately looks back to Eve. Eve, nothing to it. Come on now. (laughs) Eve paces back her hands shaking as she contemplates the jump. Fighting against her screaming instincts, Eve squeals as she steps across the trunk and makes a leap across. The toe of her shoe lifting off the car mere seconds before it descends into the murky black pitch of the road. Eve lands, short of her destination. One desperate grasping arm makes contact with Apollo's as her legs bang and scrape against the rover's grill. Scrambling for any conceivable purchase, Apollo is wrenched sideways by the force of Eve's landing, thrown off balance by the unexpected application of her whole weight. In the gut-churning moments that follow, Apollo tugs Eve up to his chest and wraps an arm around her, his center of gravity passing over the edge of the car. The fall takes a lifetime. Wrapped in each other's arms, Eve and Apollo tumble forward toward the patient, ravenous ground. 
In the split second before he leaves the hood of the car, Apollo uses his last inch of footing to push himself into a slow turn. The twist continues as they fall, until Eve is looking to the road, Apollo to the pale blue sky, and in one final action, Apollo pushes Eve's waist, holding her at arm's length. Apollo's back thuds into the asphalt, his head smacking audibly against it. Dazed and confused, he manages to hold Eve aloft, keeping everything but her feet from joining him on the hard ground. Get, get back up! <laughs> Quickly get back up! <laughs> her face shredded by fear and guilt and sorrow, Eve stares into Apollo's eyes and whimpers. Collecting herself, she pushes herself off him, ripping out her laces and leaving a shoe and a sock behind as she clambers back onto the Range Rover. With every movement, she whispers a quivering apology. It's okay. It's okay. Go on. It's okay. <laughs> he repeats those two words over and over until I'm not even sure who he's talking to. The road elasticates around him, dragging him down into its depths. Eve looks back to him, her face cringing in misery. Bonnie buries her face in Clyde's chest, unable to watch the next few moments unfold. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's... <laughs> It's all right, just get going, okay? Doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt really. <laughs> Apollo's ears sink beneath the road, entering a new world of perfect silence. Apollo sees the end nearing. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Rob, Rob! <laughs> I won't play his final moments. He just your, laughed a bunch. For your benefit, and ultimately for his. Before he sinks into the road. Before he sinks into the road, you can still hear him. <laughs> Telling jokes. <laughs> yeah, you ever hear the one about the airline and the food? <laughs> wow. Before he sinks into the road, Apollo asks for Rob to talk to his family. He wants Rob to tell them that he loves them. Rob nods, knowing that Apollo won't be able to hear his response. After a few cries of panic despair, Apollo's eyes and mouth are enveloped by the road. His screams are drowned by the thick, churning asphalt. Eve watches the rest of his body sink, while Lilith tugs at her sleeve, pulling her towards the roof. Come on, we've got, we've got to go. Sarah, we've got to go. I'm sorry. Whispering one last heartfelt apology to the air itself, Eve steps up with Lilith and stares at the cable. Okay, guys. Just let yourself down until you're hanging from the rope and work your way across. I got it. You ready? Eve looks to her friend. I... I don't... Just watch me, okay? Follow right behind me. The Range Rover's wheels have now disappeared. With every passing second, the cable's clearance diminishes, and the angle between the roof bar and the Wrangler's lighting rig becomes steeper. They need to start moving now or not at all. Eve looks across the length of the rope. I can feel her mind kicking back at the prospect. I can't. Sarah, we fucking have to, okay? Follow behind me. Lilith wraps her arms around Eve, hugging her stiff, shivering frame before letting go and crouching down to the rope, slowly working her way under it. Her hands clenching the cable, her legs wrapped securely around it. 
Lilith starts to pull herself along the rope, shifting her feet up every few seconds behind her. She fixes her eyes on Liz. She drags herself to the halfway mark. Is she following? The asphalt swallows the Range Rover's lower chassis. Eve hasn't, <laughs> e- Eve hasn't moved a muscle. The stretch of the black tarmac might as well be a bottomless ravine, the Grand Canyon. The idea of hanging herself over it mortifies her. Sarah, Sarah, it's not as bad as it looks. Please, come on. Lilith crosses the threshold. Her knuckles are white as she continues to cling to the rope. Rob marches up to her and helps her down into his arms, coaxing her hands free by telling her that she's safe. As soon as she hits, her feet hit the ground again. They give way beneath her, and Lilith sinks to the ground, crying out. Oh, I thought she was sinking oh, into God, the ground. No. I was like, oh, no. Rob, you caught me. Oh, fuck. 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 <laughs> Sarah, come on, please. I can't. I can't. I Please, Sarah. I need you here. You were always gonna be my love. Don't go away. Say what you say. Say that you say. Come on, just fucking read. Like the time of my life. Oh, shit, you're right, though. Oh, Lilith. Let's see what happens. Her shallow breaths quaking with anxiety. Eve slowly crouches down and grips the rope. Slowly but surely, as the asphalt consumes the car's license plate less than a meter below her, Eve lowers herself down with clumsy desperation and drags herself along the rope. She's left it late. Her back hangs mere inches from the hungry ground as she scuffles unevenly toward us. Lifting her feet and scraping them up the rope, her arms straining to stay locked. I'm not going to make it. You are. Keep going. The Range Rover's window is now disappearing. Inside the dashboard has been submerged. With every yard that Eve manages to climb, the lowering rope ensures she stays close to the ground, even over the final few feet. My heart breaks the moment her foot slips. It happens almost too quickly to register. As Eve erratically shuffles her feet along the rope, her bare left foot gives way, swinging underneath her and kicking down onto the ground. Eve tries to raise it in time before discovering that she can't. No. No, no, no. Please. Thrown entirely off balance, Eve tries to pull herself up. However, with her lower leg seeping into the dark tar, her position can't be maintained. She falls, her body twisting, as she falls onto the road. Lilith releases a terrible shrieking cry. Eve whimpers as the side of her head rests against the tarmac, her cheeks already subsumed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. No. Please don't be sorry. I... I love you. I... I love... You, Jen. I... I love you, too. I'm sorry I didn't... I'm so sorry. Eve tries to reply, but half her mouth is sealed shut, encased in the creeping asphalt. 
Her short breaths finally melt into one long inhalation as her nose and mouth are sunk entirely. One remaining eye takes a final fleeting look at Lilith before vanishing. I look away from what is still to sink. The important things are already gone. It, it's almost like they really suck at playing the floor is lava. <laughs> it's almost like they never played it before. Eve, just Eve. Apollo didn't have to die. I'm actually kind of upset that he did. Me too. I think that's really unfortunate. How it's M- more, more sacrifice than was necessary. Now it's robbing a bunch of chicks. Hey, Rob. This is what Rob wanted. I love the ladies. Lilith collapses on her knees, a screaming of torrent of grief expelled from her burning lungs. Rob is completely immobile, likely searching for something practical in which to bury himself. Bonnie and Clyde simply look lost as they turn their backs on the sinking Range Rover. Blue Jay's reaction surprises me. She stares into the tarmac, the smirk ripped from her face, replaced by a familiar look of shell shock. She's finally getting it. She repeatedly mutters something onto her breath, something that sounds like, It's not real. It's not real. We stand in silence for what seems like an age, accompanied by the breeze and Lilith's gradually waning laments. After she's exercised the immediate torment, her screaming descends into a deathly stillness. Rob makes the first step to approach her. I... I can take you back home if you want to. No. No. Lilith wipes her eyes as tears continue to fall freely down her cheeks. When she turns around, she looks enraged. No. I'm still going. I'm going to get to the end. You know, I can't tell you when that'll be. Lilith stands up and glares at Rob, then looks over to Bonnie and Clyde. Are you guys still going? Do you have a seat free? The siblings look to one another. Bonnie nods. You got a place with us if you want it. Is the door unlocked? Uh, yeah. Then what the fuck are we waiting around for? Lilith marches to Clyde's Ford and climbs into the back seat. She waits for us impatiently to finish up. Anyone else want to turn around? Rob looks to me and Blue Jay. Blue Jay sends a look of of deep scorn his way before marching off to her own car. Bristol. The Range Rover has finally sunk. The road has settled back into a hard, permanent surface. It isn't like Rob to offer me a ride home, and I feel overwhelmingly like I should take him up on it. But there are too many questions unanswered, too many unchallenged mysteries weaved into the fabric of this journey. Going back now wouldn't be a return, it would be a retreat. I'm still going. A few minutes later, the three remaining cars roll down the dirt track, leaving another incomprehensible atrocity behind us. There's a part of me that can't believe I'm still continuing down this road. A greater part of me is astonished that no one took the opportunity to turn back. As Rob carries me on to the next turn, the one after that, I realize we all have our reasons. I'd become obsessed with chasing the truth, as had Blue Jay in her own way. Bonnie had her own, unsettling motives for carrying on, and Clyde wasn't about to abandon her. 
Lilith had directed her smoldering anger and grief toward the road itself, seeking deliverance at its end. And Rob? As far as he's concerned, there's only one direction to go. Still, when I think of the sorrows that have already befallen us, and the potential for unspeakable ruin that lies ahead, I realize that no one in the right mind would continue down this road. I suppose no one is. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I mean, we both we both lost a character just now, but you've already lost two guys. <laughs> Apollo, Ace, yeah. And I lost Eve, but I mean, a uh, bunch of rookie mistakes there. I mean, uh, sort yourself out. Stop freaking out. This Why is are you going to drive and freak out at the same time? It's road weird. rage, sister. It's a weird, weird, weird it's story. It's a one it's the one, uh, it's a pit stop to hurt town, motherfucker. Um, I just, I just... Melty, uh, how do you feel about Melty Ground? Melty? I think it sounds cooler in concept than it would look. Yes. It would look like a really bad video game glitch. You know? Like, just yeah. kind of sinking into the ground. Unless you did it in a fun way, like a quicksand kind of way. Yeah. But, um... But part of me just didn't picture it that way, at least not the way it was described. Yeah, it was kind of hard to envision. It just, yeah, it's weird. It was weird. How'd you how'd you feel about it? We lost a we I, lost a good chunk of our caravan. I was seriously creeped out. At, we lost two cars. Yeah, just in this reading. Yeah, I was very freaked out by the uh, the man, the man, the broken man. Yeah, I'm all broken. <laughs> that was his voice. I'm all broke. And I like the kind of. <laughs> The continuity with calling back to the the person they discovered. Yeah, it's kinda it's kinda the, funny that the evidence uh, of that one of the people that was missing from the from the car, but but similar to the car, like uh the person who had died in that car before the hitchhiker or during the hitchhiker sequence, uh his or hers uh body yeah. Is still on the road in, in one shape or form. I, I'm sure they're completely unaware of Yeah. I'm sure they're completely unaware of it. They didn't have eyes. How would they and be aware of it? when she called, when she called the phone. It worked. Yeah. It Freaky. was the callback number. So it was absolutely the person who was driving that car. What, what stands to reason now is Rob's reaction because it's heavily implied that he knew the people in the first car or at least tried to ignore their existence when they drove past them in the first part. Yeah. So it's interesting to see if he might have known who that was, despite the caved-in face. I didn't find this chapter all that fulfilling. It actually kind of frustrated me a little bit. Like the um, like the writer had just said, okay, I need to kill two people, how do I do it? Yeah. It had that effect on me, so I hope it does something cooler, because Jubilation felt a little bit... I suppose it always needed to tell us what happens... If you miss a turn, yeah. What yeah. happens if if you miss a turn and you and you're you're bad at playing the game? I suppose like a quicksand thing could have taken effect, but lose the car and make make maybe one of the girls fall into the into the ground, but but have Ace come back with one of the girls, you know. Have yeah. make it all for naught, you know. Show the effect, show what happens, but don't don't take as many casualties, you know. Two cars and two people, that kind of fucking sucks, story-wise. And I, you know, I know how much more of this story we have to read, so it's kind of a bummer 
that I think the last quarter of this story might be one or two characters by that point. Yeah. Rob and Alice. Maybe. I'm starting to assume that it's going to knock us for a loop. I think Rob is probably next. Wow. I I think that's an interesting storytelling mechanic. I think... I think if you if you abandon the leader somewhere and force the storytelling on three or four people who have no fucking clue what they're doing what they're doing, you know, that would make a, a better story, but you know, no holds barred at this point. Any thoughts before I dive in? No. No. This is the next part, what would essentially be part 6. Hi guys. Sorry it's taken a while to get this posted up. I've been busy chasing leads with U.S. missing persons. I won't waste more of your time. Log is below. If you have any information, then please send it my way. Thanks for your help, guys. It means a lot. Left Right Game Draft 1. December 2nd, 2017. Silence used to be an absolute. That's something I definitely miss. Back in the real world, it would stand as self-evident that a group of people saying absolutely nothing, by definition, could not be saying any less. Maybe things are different on the road, maybe I'd just never encountered it before, but it's clear to me now that there are degrees beyond silence. A pervasive realm of deafening quiet which, following the loss of even Apollo, our group has unreservedly embraced. Constructed out of our collective trauma, cemented with a cruel mixture of grief, guilt, and harrowing self-doubt, it quickly becomes apparent that this silence is stronger than all of us. The challenge of breaking it remains unmet for the rest of the journey. We spend the next few hours burrowing through a featureless corridor of maze. That's corn. Mm -hmm. The stalks rise, far above the wrangler, leaving only a thin strip of clear sky visible like painted ceiling of a renaissance church. I find myself glancing intermittently at the CB radio, half expecting, half hoping for Apollo's voice to crackle through the speaker, bringing words of comfort or a much-needed attempt at levity. After I catch myself staring at the radio for the fifth time, I decide it might be best to get on with my work. I plug my headphones into the notebook, bringing up the audio files I've recorded thus far, and set about creating a very rough cut of our first day on the road. Everybody knows Rob. Rob's the god. (laughs) I listened through Apollo's first interview, making notes for the closing paragraph. I'll now be forced to write about him. When I have everything I need, I'll listen to the interview again and then once more. It's not lost on me that I just want to hear his voice to lose myself in a pleasant digital echo far removed from the frantic screams that followed him into the asphalt. I listen to Eve's interview next, and she bristles with excitement as she talks about her upcoming visit to Roswell, steadfastly attempting to recruit me to the effort. She had no idea what she was heading into when she stepped out onto Rob's front lawn. Then again, none of us did. The thin strip of sky is turning deep orange as I reach our encounter with the hitchhiker. It's chilling to hear his voice after the fact, to revisit the conniving, veiled pleasantries he employed against us. I cringe as I hear Rob's hand grasp my arm, ashamed that I let myself fall for the hitchhiker's trickery. You did good. I'm sorry for grabbing you. I just didn't want you to do something you'd regret. No, it's fine. I I was going to. 
Do you know what happens if you talk to him? Not sure. Came close myself once a few years back. The way he looks at you when he thinks he got you. I don't think I want to know. Rob, I... I pause the audio file, clicking back ten seconds before pressing again. No, it's fine. I was going to. Do you know what happens if you talk to him? Not sure. Came close myself once a few years back. The way he looks at you when he thinks he's... I certainly didn't notice that the first time. I'd been so shaken by my run-in with the hitcher, and so curious about the abandoned car that I'd been completely blind to anything else that had come my way. Maybe Rob misspoke. Maybe he meant to say weeks or months. But if it wasn't a mistake, if it was a truth carelessly uttered, then Rob has some explaining to do. Wait, I'm going to go back up real quick. He said years. He said years. Well, what what does that imply? That he hadn't just been following the left-right game for the last couple months. He had been trying to do it for the last couple years. Oh. He knows a lot more than he's letting on. Oh, okay. Okay. This, This is where it gets important. Yeah. The left-right game was posted online in June 2016, less than a year ago. Oh my god. I glanced sideways at him, a wall of corn rushing past us as we approached the rest stop. Throughout this trip, every emotion Rob's displayed has seemed genuine. The sadness, the anger, the concern, they tell the story of a man who cares deeply about the welfare of those around him, yet at the same time, it's strikingly clear that there's something he isn't telling me. With every new piece of the puzzle, the car, the text message, the faceless creature with a ringing phone, I'm left with the dilemma of when to confront Rob Guthard with what I know. I feel I've gathered enough to bring before him, enough to demand an explanation, but there's no way I'd be able to truly verify his answer. I have a collection of strange and perplexing notions lacking in the common thread that could bring me any workable conclusion. If I'm going to confront Rob, I need to uncover that thread. Much like the greatest journalist of our time, I should know the answer before I ask the question. The jeep pulls up onto a large green space, staring straight ahead. I find myself puzzled by the way the ground seems to stop, as if the horizon lies only 20 meters away from the car. As soon as the engine cuts out, I unbuckle my seatbelt, climb out, and walk towards the grassy verge. The rest of the convoy pulls up behind me as I go. I stop a few steps short of the edge, realizing we're on the way to the top of a sheer cliff. A sudden swaying vertigo takes over, forcing me to take a few steps back. It doesn't feel like we've been heading uphill, the road has been level since jubilation, yet somehow I'm standing at the edge of a 400-foot rock face descending straight downwards, the distant earth shrouded by stalks of corn. That's the truly strange thing about this monolithic precipice. On either side of me, the maze runs to the very edge of the cliff, and at its base, the endless harvest continues until it stretches beyond the darkening horizon in every direction. It feels like I'm standing on the cliffs of Dover, staring over a golden ocean, its waves governed by the evening breeze. I wonder for a moment where it ends, then... Taking consideration of the world I now occupy, I start to wonder if it ever does. A belligerent scream rips me from the view. The source of the noise is blocked by the wrangler, and the first thing I see I circle around are the shocked, wide-eyed faces of Bonnie and Clyde. Once I make my way past the wrangler's hood, my expression mimics theirs. 
Lilith has pinned Blue Jay up to the side of the jeep, a locked forearm pressing her chest against the door. Her other arm has been grasped in Blue Jay's hands, desperately stopped before it can strike her across the face. The two of them yell through their gritted teeth as Lilith struggles furiously against her, vying to cause her any conceivable harm. Get the fuck off me, you bitch. Get off. I take a few quick steps over to Lilith and Blue Jay, attempts to kick her away. Lilith, we can't do this. Jen. Lilith doesn't even register my presence as she continues her assault, deafened by the bubbling vitriol in every growling breath. Jen. We are not doing this now, not after. Before I can comprehend what's happening, I'm staring at the sky, my head knocked back by the force of Lilith's flailing elbow. A hot, raw ache radiates across my lower lip as I stagger back, raising my hand over my mouth. Before Lilith can continue her assault, Rob swings open his door and takes two short strides over to her. He puts one arm around the girl's waist and picks her up, carrying her safely but firmly over to Bonnie and Clyde's Ford and planting her back on the ground. I seem to always forget how strong he is. Damn it, this is not the time. Take it back! Blue Jay has lost her usual snide demeanor, yet her aura still radiates an unbridled scorn. In response to Lilith's demand, Blue Jay walks back to her car and sits on the hood. She takes the Marlboros out of her pocket along with her lighter and ignites a cigarette. I imagine the burning embers are the only company she's comfortable to accept right now. By the time I look back to the rest of the group, Lilith has stormed away. What did she say? I didn't hear it all. What did she say, Bonnie? I heard something about... She said that Lilith was, um, that we were complicit. Ah, God damn it, Bristol, can you? I watch Lilith as she sits on the grass and looks over the cliffside. She begins to cry, yet I get a strong notion that it's not something I should interrupt. It feels like something between her and Eve, a final act of reactionary mourning reserved for them and them alone. Yeah, but don't worry, I'll, I'll handle it. Okay. I'll cook us something up. An hour passes. Lilith grows slowly calmer, drifting from cathartic release into a cold, world, wordless melancholy. Finishing up my dinner, I make my way over to her. It's a strange view. Lilith looks up at me, and her face falls. I cut you. I'm so sorry. It's fine. You should see the other girl. Ha. Huh. Yeah. I bet she looks like shit right now. <laughs> I help myself down onto the cool ground, staring alongside Lilith into the ocean below. Blue Jay thinks I'm complicit in what happened to Eve. I heard. She used to think we were morons. Now she thinks we're all in on it. It doesn't make sense. I think she has to... Oh, Blue Jay can be either. Huh? Blue Jay can be a girl or guy, considered. I think that's what that means. That's a typo. That's a typo. I think she, he. <laughs> it would be dashy. No. It's she. It's she. They already said it's an old woman. We're digging into the lore. What if that's like... That's uh, a typo. It's not a lore. Continue reading. What if it's like at the point where... Okay. 
In this universe, she's a he. Well, we can in we the start other universe. It's a they. We start seeing double realities in the text. Shut the fuck up. That would be fun experimentalism. I think she has to believe this place is a lie. Of, I'm so sorry. I think she has to believe that this place is a lie. She needs it to make sense, and the harder it gets for her to rationalize, the more she... Well, anyway, she shouldn't have said what she said. It's just... She's... I, I guess the word is troubled. She's a fucking thundercunt. Um... Uh... Okay. She's right, though. I killed her. And I killed Apollo, too. I looked to Lilith, concerned, not quite sure what she means. Her eyes remained locked on the impossible horizon. Sarah, she wasn't cut out for this, and she knew it. She wanted us to turn back this morning, but I didn't want to. That wasn't just your decision, Lilith. Yes, it was. She, uh, she followed my lead, always, through everything. And I knew why she was doing it, I knew but I let it continue because it was convenient, because it was easy, because deep down I liked having someone around who, who jumped through the fucking hoops for me. God, it's so fucked. Lilith rests her head in her hands. <laughs> she was weak. She was anxious and shy and... But that should be okay, right? You're, you're allowed to be weak. That's... But I, but I made her come here. I dragged someone who couldn't swim into the fucking deep end. And the last thing I did was lie to her, and she fucking knew it. Lilith takes a few deep, frayed breaths. What do you mean? I'm not... I didn't. I... I loved her, you know, as a... As a friend. It was always this fucking one-way street, and... I don't think she minded, but... Then she suddenly... She's vanishing right in fucking front of me, and she said what she said, and... I mean, how else was I supposed to respond to that? I had to say it right back, right? Lilith maintains her composure as a steady stream of tears rolls down her cheek. I don't know what I'd do in that situation. I could see it in her eyes that she didn't believe me. Fuck, I wonder how many people have died while being told, like, comforting lies. How many of them fucking knew? I think you did the best you could, Jen. I, I think you did better than most. You don't need to tell me that. Just... Are you tired? Do you need to go to bed soon? No, I don't need to. There are some... Beers in a Apollo's bag? Is that like... Is that like looting, or is that okay? I think he'd want us to have them as long as he's got a toast. Lilith laughs briefly and finally smiles. She walks over to Bonnie and Clyde's car, returning a moment later with a four-pack. We spend the next hour and a half slowly drinking them. Lilith can't muster the right words for a toast, so we just say thank you to Apollo, raising out cans to the open air. We talk about his tireless humor, his attempts to keep us all up during our first night on the road, how caringly he spoke to everyone, even at the edge of death. We talk about Eve as well, about the pair's misadventures, awkward college parties, and the future of Paranormicon. Lilith smiles and tells me there's always a place for me once radio dies out. After everything that's happened on the road, the night can't help but feel bittersweet. 
But for once, on a solitary cliffside in the middle of nowhere, it's more sweet than it is bitter. That may not be much, but at the end of an awful day, it's more than either of us could have hoped for. The next morning goes quickly. It's amazing how efficient a group of people can be when none of them feel like talking. Not only that, but breakfast has become a noticeable brief affair. I manage to get through half a bag of trail mix before I find myself uncontrollably full. Rob's words about the road's sustaining properties ring in my ears as I look around the group. Everyone leaves their bowls half empty. Lilith hasn't eaten a bite. By this point, the launch protocol has been drilled into us despite our preoccupations and the fractious rifts developing between us. The cars line up like clockwork as they merge onto the road. In fact, the mood of the group seems strangely procedural. All radio contact starts with the stating of a call sign followed by that of the recipient. The cars maintain an even, careful distance between one another. We've seen all too clearly what happens when the rules are neglected, and no one wants to take chances anymore. How far away are we? From where? You haven't got to the end of this road, right? I mean... You're still charting it. That's right. Well, how long until we get to, you know, to uncharted territory? To be honest, not too long. What's going to happen once we reach that point? We're going to keep driving. Until we get to the end? That's the plan. You know, I won't judge you if you want to turn around. I'm sure you can talk to... I'm sure you could talk someone into it. Could I talk you into it? Rob smiles. Afraid not. This trip ain't like the others, roads kicking back like never before. I think it knows I'm coming all the way this time. What is this place, Rob? Rob sighs as he slowly takes the next left on a quiet rural (sighs) T-junction. I think it's a stray thread. Running off the spool. The radio crackles. Rab, you just took the wrong turn. An instant drum of fresh panic hammers in my chest. I stare at Rob, and he stares right back. I know he's feeling the same thing I am. Though he's doing a much better job of keeping it off his face. He thinks carefully for a moment. No. No. I've been down this road before. We took a right last time. Uh, yeah. The turn before this one was a right, I remember. Ferryman to all cars, thanks, Bonnie, for giving us the fright of our lives. We're on the ro- We're on the correct road. No. No, that can't be it. That's wrong. Martin, tell them. Uh, our, our, our mistake, Rob. Let's keep going. Bristol? There's concern. In Lilith's voice, I lean over to my wing mirror, attempting to gauge the atmosphere in the car behind me. There's clearly some commotion between Bonnie and Clyde, with the latter attempting to gently remove the walkie-talkie from his sister's hands. There's something else, however, past Bonnie and Clyde, past Blue Jay, an old dilapidated road sign made of unweathered timber, stands by the side of the road behind us. I can't read all of it as the peeling letters grow ever smaller, but I can piece together what it probably once said. Wintery Bay, five miles. We're going to turn around, right? Uh, one second, Bonnie. I'll check the map. I promptly switch off the radio. 
Are we not passing through Wintry Bay? Rob turns to me, a puzzled look in his eyes. Through where? In the wake of those two innocently inquiring words, my mind reels back to the morning of our third day on the road, watching Bonnie and Clyde wander over to Rob to confess their transgressions with the hitchhiker, the quiet conversation that passed between them, Rob's seemingly comforting response. I felt wretched in those moments. A few minutes prior, I had tricked and deceived Clyde, yet I never once considered he might have done the same to me. Is it safe to pull over? What? Why? Is it safe, Rob? Uh, yeah, should be. Then pull over. I switch the radio back on and grab the receiver as I make a connection to Bonnie and Clyde's car. It's clear that an argument is brewing. Lilith is asking for me, a helpless passenger caught in the middle of something she couldn't understand. Bristol to all cars was stopping up ahead. Rob seems acutely aware that I'm not messing around. As soon as we roll to a halt, I throw my door open and jump onto the dusty roadside, striding over to the rest of the convoy, who are just starting to get out of their own cars. I'm conscious of a driving anger between each step I take. You didn't tell him. Bristol, I... Rob. Rob. <laughs> That's me. I'm, I'm Rob. What's going on, Bristol. Rob marches up behind me, more than a little restless to get a grip on my motives. Clyde! Clyde looks around a circle of expectant eyes when he delivers his answer. He's unable to meet any of them. Bonnie. Bonnie talked to the hitchhiker. Rob's expression shifts, his confusion degrading into a solemn understanding. God. Ah, God damn it! You knew about this, Bristol? I told them to tell you the morning of the third day. I saw them go over to you. I... I thought they did. Bonnie thought you'd turn us around. Well, she's damn right. You seen what happens when the rules get broken. You should have told me as soon as you saw me and headed right back home. That was... Before Ace, before... Everything, I... I didn't know this place was... The rules are the rules, Clyde. Is anything even wrong with Bonnie? You said she gets confused. Was that a lie? Clyde doesn't answer, avoiding Rob's glare. As I process what Rob's just said, I have to say I'm surprised by the deviousness of the two siblings. When I thought they were telling Rob about the hitchhiker, it appears they instead told him that Bonnie was, to some degree, senile. It was a simple lie, but one that would adequately explain her odd behavior, draw sympathy from Rob, and, most ingeniously, prevent him from telling me about their conversation. A truth buried beneath an unpleasant lie, its subject matter just uncomfortable enough to head off any chase of discussion. Still, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. We can head home if you want. No! The group turns to Bonnie. She speaks in a tone more decisive than I thought her capable. He, the hitchhiker, he was talking about uh, about the, the village we passed. I was looking forward to seeing it. That's all. I, I, I'm okay, really. You've been talking about it a lot, Bonnie. It just, it, it sounded like a lovely place. I was sad that we passed it by. I'm sorry for worrying everyone. Please don't make us turn around, Rob. Rob stares at them both. His position has been made crystal clear. 
We're stopping a little early today. Come the rest of the way with us, rest up. Then tomorrow, you both go home. You should count yourselves lucky you get the chance to turn around. Rob marches back to the Wrangler, signaling that the discussion is over. Lilith, you're with us. Lilith doesn't even try to hide her relief as she shuffles away from Bonnie and Clyde and climbs into the back of the jeep. It's a little heartwarming that Rob still has the awareness to look out for her, angry as he may be. As well as his surprising strength, I also tend to forget how perceptive he can be. Bonnie, Clyde, and Blue Jay climb back into their respective vehicles. I catch Bonnie's eye the moment before she returns to the Ford. She appears truly disappointed, but otherwise resigned to keep going, satisfied to let Wintery Bay fade into the distance. It's comforting to hear that she's ready to put the place behind her. It's just a pity I don't believe a word of it. It was fucking weird, Bristol. Lilith seems happy to be in the Wrangler, enjoying the sense of security the modded behemoth affords, and also greatly relieved to be away from Bonnie and Clyde. She spent the last five minutes detailing the 30-second argument that unfolded between them, charting its disturbing nuances, as well as its eerie conclusion. But I swear, she was basically, like, crying. Like, like, she didn't understand how we could be going the wrong way. But then, like, as soon as you pulled us over, and then... Well, she just stopped. Like, I mean, stopped. That must have been disconcerting. You have no idea. So, Rob, when are these cornfields going to fucking end? Soon. We're going to rest up for the night in a few turns, then. Tomorrow it won't be long until we're on a track through the woods. The fucking woods? Are you kidding? Are we talking, like, Sleepy Hollow bleeding trees, or what? (laughs) I wish I could tell you. Wait, what do you mean? I ain't been that far yet. It's new territory. Oh, great. Maybe the cornfields aren't so... Lilith goes quiet, transfixed by something in the rearview mirror, before quickly turning around to get a better look at the back window. The car behind us is out of control. Bonnie is fighting to wrest the steering wheel from her brother. The Ford swerves erratically behind us, driving... Driven mad by the dynamic power struggle taking place inside it, Rob sharply accelerates out of the way as the car behind lurches drunkenly to and fro before skidding to a shuddering halt. Rob hits the brake hard, and by the time I've turned in his direction, he's already slammed the door of the Wrangler, storming across the tarmac to Bonnie and Clyde. Cut the engine! The Ford's engine goes silent, and in the absence of its rumbling growl, new sounds emerge, the sounds of a struggle and of wild, desperate screaming. Stepping out of the car for the second time today, I jump onto the road and cover the distance between us. Rob is attempting to pull a screeching Bonnie from the car, even with his impressive strength it seems to be a challenge. Bonnie claws at the walls, trying with all her might to regain her grasp on the spearing on the steering wheel. Please! Please! Let me go! Let me go! Rob extracts Bonnie from the car and attempts to subdue her amidst a flurry of flailing hands and elbows. She writhes and kicks as he pins her arms to her sides. Bonnie! Bonnie, calm down, okay? Let's talk this through. He told me it was on our way. He said we'd pass through. He lied, Bonnie. No! No! We're going the wrong way! We're, we're going the wrong way! 
Bonnie lashes out again, striking at Rob's legs with her own. Rob holds firmly, his teeth gritted through every impact. It's clear that Bonnie isn't going to let up. I run back to the Wrangler and open up the trunk. After a few moments of rummaging through my bag, I find the first aid kit and pull out an unopened pack of white zip ties. Clyde, open the back door. Rob sees me standing with the zip ties, even in the midst of Bonnie's incessant struggle. He looks at me with an almost questioning air, as if he's wondering how we ever arrived at this point as if he's asking whether we can really do what I'm wordlessly suggesting. Bonnie answers the last question for him. In the slim few seconds of distraction, she slams her head back into his nose, eliciting a disgustingly loud thud and a pained growl from Rob. Dazed and confused, his nose immediately founding blood, Rob manages to keep his arms wrapped around her, but it's clear this isn't going to be sustainable and that she isn't anywhere close to calming down. Clyde has opened the door, stepping back and looking on like a frightening child as we carry Bonnie over to the back seat of the Ford. I lean in before him, adjusting the headrest until it's pressed against the ceiling, ensuring that it can't be removed from the bracket. I then loop a zip tie around each bracket and fasten them. What the fuck is going on? Blue Jay has stepped out of her car, making her way towards us. I realize that, to someone who is fighting to not believe in any of this, the following scene would appear to be, at best, a melodramatic farce, and at worst, as the attempted detention of an innocent and distressed woman. Sadly, I don't have time to field her questions. I climb into the car, Bonnie working constantly against us as Rob eases her in after me, his hands on her head to prevent it from bumping against the top of the doorframe. Once she's inside, I loop a second zip tie around the one I've already fastened on the right bracket, forcing her right hand inside it. I pull the plastic tab over the sleeve of her jumper. I hope it's not too tight, but at the very least it's secure enough to keep her in place. Bonnie continues to pull against the zip ties, but it's clear her strength has been sapped from her spirited battle with Rob. Not quite able to look her in the eye, I push a pile of luggage out of the way and climb out to the other side of the ford. Rob and I are both getting our breath back, the former pinching his nose and adjusting stoically to the fresh pain. Hey, what the fuck are- You're not going to leave her like that, are you? Get back in your car, Blue Jay. I (laughs) I walk back to the Wrangler, tuning out Denise's coarse protests. Rob reaches into the jeep, still open trunk, and pulls out a pile of blankets and pillows. In the rearview mirror, I can see him placing them on Bonnie's lap, giving her a place to rest her elbows. He leans her forehead against the back of the headrest. Even with her face blocked from view, I can tell that she's crying. We arrived at the rest stop some 20 minutes later, the vague outline of a deep green forest blooming on the horizon. It's earlier in the day than we would usually stop. Rob tells us he wants the entirety of tomorrow to chart the woods as well as a good time to turn back before nightfall, should the need arise. I'm not complaining, I'm glad of the chance to rest up the following today's events. For the rest of the day, we take in turns to keep an eye on Bonnie, making sure she has everything she needs. When the Ford pulled up alongside us, Lilith, Rob, and I expected to see a quivering wreck tugging ceaselessly against her bonds. We were all surprised and more than a little disturbed to find her smiling. 
By the time my turn comes around, the sun is already dipping in the sky. Rob has prepared a small pot of miso soup in case anyone can bring themselves to eat. I finish my bowl, all too aware of how unnecessary each meal now feels, and pour out a helping for Bonnie. I find her in good spirits. How are you doing, Alice? I'm fine. How are you doing, Linda? I'm okay. Sorry for giving you all such a fright earlier. I feel terrible. It's fine, honestly. I'm sorry about uh, all this. I gesture to the zip-tied restraints. Rob has reapplied them, fastening bandages underneath the straps to afford Bonnie a modicum of comfort. Still, the scene rings with a sinister barbarity which no kind consideration can make up for. It's okay, I wasn't myself. I brought you some soup. I know you might not be hungry. No, no, I'd love some. Thank you. Everyone's being so lovely. Well, we just want to make sure you're all right. I submerge the spoon, drench up a measure of warm broth, and begin to raise it towards her. Oh, oh no, you don't have to. I can feed myself. She gestures to her bound hands, the clear implication hanging in the air. No, I I don't mind. I think it's... Bonnie throws her weight sideways, her elbow jabbing outward and hitting the bowl out of my hands. Soup spills over my fleece, just a little cooler than scalding hot, and soaks immediately into the fabric. I back away reflexively and watch Bonnie's expression flicker like a faulty light bulb from kind tranquility to utter burning contempt. It's gone as quickly as it appears, just in time for the rest of the group to look our way. What are you doing with her? Blue Jay storms across from her car, angrily drawing from a marble and forcing the smoke draconically back into the air. Nothing, just an accident. It's okay, Blue Jay, it was my mistake. Did she get any on you? Blue Jay leans in, placing her hand comfortingly on Bonnie's before turning to fix me with a murderous stare. It's almost impressive now. Even when caring for someone, Blue Jay still manages to be simultaneously venomous to those around her. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. It was my fault. It's fine. I'm sorry for causing any trouble. Blue Jay laughs at Bonnie's submissive apology, unable to believe what she's thinking. Her eyes remain fixed on me. You're a fucking coward. Look what he's making you do. Look. My eyes follow where she gestures. I have to admit the helpless figure of Bonnie, restrained in the back seat of the Ford, rings with an innate inhumanity, and being forced to stare my actions in the face makes me feel utterly ghoulish. The choices I've made must seem insane to Blue Jay, but that doesn't mean hers are not. Despite her pretensions of rationality, I can't help but feel that Blue Jay's actions are simply being governed by a different insanity. An insanity born out of the desperate need to explain the unexplainable, which has morphed into an ugly cocktail of paranoia, self-grandeur, and fervent antagonism. Blue Jay notes my silent expression, most likely taking it as a personal victory. Without another word, she returns to her car and shuts herself inside, festering silently and alone. Do you want to know what's wonderful, Alice? Bonnie leans toward me, lowering her voice so no one else can hear. He told me there's a house waiting for me, my home by the sea. I'm sorry, Bonnie, I don't think that there is. It's going to be such a beautiful place. Such a beautiful place. Bonnie flashes me a broad grin. It's been lovely knowing you, Alice. And her old 
us. Ooh. Bonnie turns away from me, placing her forehead back on the headrest. The grin doesn't fade as I turn away. I walk back to the Wrangler, faced with the choice of changing into new clothes or my thermal pajamas. After removing my fleece and lying down for a moment, I end up sleeping in the clothes I'm wearing. When I wake up, the Wrangler is moving. The air mattress reverberates and my body rocks as we make a sharp U-turn. I sit bolt upright, Lilith waking up next to me, similarly bleary-eyed and confused. Rob is behind the wheel. The gear stick shakes as he transports us down the road at an incredible speed. Rob! What's happening? Bonnie got herself free. She's headed for the turn. I pull myself into the passenger seat, suddenly awake. What? How did she get free? Is she with Clyde? She hit him over the head, dragged him out of the car. I couldn't wait for him, but he's catching up. Lilith and I turn around. Blue Jay's car is gaining on us, a distant pair of high beams, steadily drowning the rear window in light. Why is Blue Jay helping him? She probably wants to keep an eye on us. Rob, do you think we'll catch up with Bonnie? I'm working on it. The Wrangler continues to rocket through the darkness. We keep our eyes fixed forward, scanning the very edge of the horizon for any sign of Bonnie's Ford. When Blue Jay pulls alongside us, I get a look at the pair. Blue Jay is naught but steely determination, dedicated to reaching Bonnie before we do. Clyde looks mortified, rocked by his sister's actions, a small contusion on his head to mark her vicious betrayal. Rob screeches to a halt once we arrive at the junction. Blue Jay's headlights are already illuminating the road to Wintery Bay, and Rob's lighting red coats the entire area in an artificial twilight. In the middle of it all, we see Bonnie standing next to her car, smiling. She's already beyond the threshold of the turn. Linda! Linda, please, come on back now, okay? You can all come with me. There's a place for all of us. He told me there's a place for everyone. Please, Linda! You have to come back. A strange trail of black dust is streaming off Bonnie's skin, rising into the air and dancing in the breeze. After a moment, it becomes clear that the edges of Bonnie are slowly degrading, converting quietly into dark ash and drifting into the atmosphere, snapped by Thanos. Bonnie will return in Avengers 4. (laughs) I love you very much, Martin. You're always welcome. No, please, please. Bonnie turns around and climbs into the car. Without looking back, she pulls away down the road to Wintery Bay. The trail of the black particles rise from the ford as she goes... With greater and greater volume as the entire car starts to wither away before our eyes. Less than a minute later, the Ford, with Bonnie inside of it, gradually dissolves into dust and scatters to the winds. Clyde doesn't speak. His entire being is quiet. Hmm. Lilith immediately runs back to the Wrangler. Rob waits a while, staring at the dancing cloud of dust before putting his arm around Clyde and gently escorting him to the jeep. As I turn away from the road to Wintery Bay, I take note of Blue Jay's reaction. She looks absolutely petrified, more so than I've ever seen her. It's because she's the one who let Bonnie free. Yeah. She impulsively removes the back of the marbles from her pocket and holds them in her hands before quickly returning them unsmoked. 
The night passes slowly after we return to the rest stop. All of us are exhausted and more than willing to surrender the escapism of sleep. Rob rests in the driver's seat, giving up space on the air mattress to Clyde. Everyone drops quickly enough into a quiet slumber, leaving me awake with only my thoughts for company. I find myself thinking of Blue Jay, of how she could possibly hope to rationalize the disintegration of Bonnie and her car. I wonder how I'd feel if the left-right game were exposed as some unparalleled magic trick. Would I feel foolish? No. I don't think so. Impressed, maybe. Relieved? Most definitely. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I miss the innocent days when I believed the game was a hoax. I suppose I see why Blue Jay is so adamant about dismissing this place. Trickery, however elaborate, is almost always a preferable alternative to genuine horror. The jeep's door opens and shuts. Part of me tries to ignore it to wash my hands of any other developments in this harrowing night. However, exiled as I am from the kingdom of sleep, I slowly find myself sitting up, quietly putting on my boots and letting myself out. I step out into the cool night, observing the figure before me. Where are you going, Clyde? Clyde turns to face me. I initially interpret the look he gives me as one of resignation, but the word doesn't quite fit. Resignation is a defeat. The world exacting compliance from you against your own wishes. But the man before me is as calm as the night air around him. His wishes are clearly his own. There's no defeat in his eyes, but something else entirely. Peace, maybe. You know where I'm going, Alice. Clyde speaks softly, a quiet conviction behind every word he says. I briefly glance towards the Wrangler, wondering if I'm really equipped to handle this on my own. Don't call Rab. I made a mistake of coming back to the rest stop. I, I shouldn't have done. Please, just let me go. Clyde, just wait for a tomorrow, okay? He'll understand. He'll turn us around and take you home. It won't be home anymore. Clyde's gentle stare wow. renders me silent. Wow. Linda had a husband once. He was a good man. Died young. She could never bring herself to go looking again, and I, I never found who I was looking for. We've been by each other's side for 60 years. 60 years. I gotta be honest, even after all we've been through, everything you and I have seen, I never felt like I was in a new world until now. I don't think I can let you do this, Clyde. I'm sorry, Alice, but it's not up to you. Clyde breathes in, cool night air exhaling through his nose. I yelled at her to come back when she ran off to rob that ice cream parlor. I kept calling out and calling out. I spent so much energy trying to get her to come back to me. After a while, I realized she wasn't coming back, that I'd have to follow her. I should have realized it earlier, that's all I can do. Follow her where she goes. Clyde looks at me almost apologetically. Goodbye, Alice. He turns away from the convoy and wanders back down the road. Clyde. He turns around one last time. Do you want company? 
It takes roughly an hour for us to walk back to the junction. In the time we have, I'm treated to the story of Bonnie and Clyde, the warmest fragments of their life together, the moments that built them, the waves that rocked them, and the places they once called home. I don't think I'll ever agree with what Clyde is doing, but the more he talks, the more I understand. His stories span more than half a century, supported by a transient cast of acquaintances and friends, but at the core of each tale is a pair of siblings who meant the world to one another. The pair existed as two relative souls, quantifiable only in relation to each other. In the absence of one, the remnant was indefinable, a drifting point unanchored in space. The story ends just as we reach the junction. I hope she's out there. In the Soul Stone. I hope so, too. Thank you for coming with me. I know it's late. No, it's it's never a bad time to see a friend of. Clyde smiles at me one last time before turning to face the road. He steps over the threshold, past the old wooden sign in the silence of the night. I hear nothing but his soft footsteps and the quiet breeze, which after a few minutes carries the last of him into an open sky. It's a long walk back to the convoy, and my mind is numb to fear as I make my way through the dark, the corn rustling in the wind beside me. It's been four days since I arrived at Rob Guthard's house, sat down at his table, and listened to him speak about the new world he'd discovered. In that time, I've seen things I can't hope to comprehend, sights that exist beyond the spectrum of our reality. Things I would have deemed possible. For all I know, there is a wintry bay, and Bonnie has already arrived at her house by the sea, standing at the door, waiting with quiet confidence for her brother's arrival. I may never know, but I do hope they find each other, wherever they may be. Which is dead. That's the end of part six. Wow. Quite a quite a gut punch of uh, of bullshit and seventy fucking pages. Yep, seventy pages in two hours. It's pretty fucking. I think that's a new. I think that's a new highlight. It was pretty good. We, yes, we are very good at what we do. This is why we do it. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> so I. I don't know what I expected, but I'm just relatively disappointed by all the reasons we're losing people now. I think that jubilation, uh, jubilation set up a little bit more precedence than I had hoped for. I feel like jubilation, like, was a good reason to lose someone, and I think like shitty mistakes is a bad reason to die. <laughs> yeah. So I like think, I think like Ace Carmack... didn't so much have a shitty mistake as much as it felt like the road was just trying to kill him all along. Whereas it doesn't seem like the road tried to kill anyone these past like couple times. Well, it was just if... like Bonnie fucked up by talking and Eve fucked up by letting letting the road like get to her. But well, essentially if... it was their mistakes. What if, if Apollo me? what if Apollo had talked to the guy because at the beginning of the story well yeah no yeah. apollo was fine uh that was, was after after he got no that crossed. was that was fake remember she made it up as a tactic to get rob away from uh to get rob away from the wrangler so she could talk on the cb that's um all right yeah 
Rob, uh, I think Apollo was fine. I think Apollo just died how he lived, which was kind of like... Laughing. I mean, trying to do the right thing. You know, he, yeah. he just wanted to do right by the caravan, by Rob. Like, he knew Rob couldn't do it, and he, like, put it together in his head. He was like, Rob shouldn't be the one going out there trying to save the girl. Uh, I'm the most limber. I'm the only guy left yeah. other than Rob. Like, like I have to do this, and then he died doing it. So, like, with, um, with Clyde, you know, it's, it's understandable, and I guess I didn't peg them as really fucking old, but now yeah. it's kind of revealed to me that they've been old this entire time. And it's, and it's tough, because it's like, uh, is more than half of this caravan just old people? <laughs> yes, that is the new answer. Like, Blue Jay's old... Bonnie and Clyde are old, Rob is old, and then it was... Apollo Ace. was kind of old. Apollo was middle-aged. Apollo was in his 30s, but Ace was supposed to be late 20s, early 30s, and I took Lilith as... Lilith, Eve, and Alice are all early to, early to late 20s. Early, you think? They said she had graduated university and then yeah. disappeared. That's true. So it's it's interesting how to think... Where this is going to continue, I think the next two chapters, uh, at least by story standards, should be incredibly interesting. Yeah. Because now it's small. Now it's intimate. Now um, now well, I think would be a good time to lose Rob and make the well, story really fucking interesting. Well, he's got, he's got some explaining to do. I don't think they'll... No, we haven't confronted him yet, but I do suppose upon... Um, Upon more intimate standards, maybe she will. Maybe she thinks that Lilith and Blue Jay will back her up if she wants to call Rob out on some bullshit. Yeah. I'd specifically think Blue Jay would back her up, but Lilith would just from their, like, cathartic moment together. Like, now it's three women and Rob in two cars. So it depends on when she tries talking to Rob and if she has any backup for however that's going to go. And I think um I think the twist there with Rob is that he's he's tried the road so many times in the one year that the time displacement effects of the road he like I guess what I'm trying to say is it's like uh 112263. He has spent so much time in a different time that when he comes back, he thinks it's been years because he has lived years elsewhere. But when he comes back, he comes back at the time that he left. So every time you start the left-right game, time shifts into something else, into its own thing, its own rules. So Rob has been trying to ride the road for years to get to this point. And he's tried it so many times, probably with so many people, and so many people have probably died because of him, and he probably has so many fucking skeletons in his fucking closet. So, it's like, in a way... Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So, this, real in real time, the left-right game only surfaced on the internet. A year. A year. Less to, than a year. A year, it said 2016 to 2017. A year. So, but Rob's experience of that time, 
ever since the first time he tried. He has spent his, more... His experience is that time has not moved at all. He has spent more than a year on the road, is what I'm saying. Yes. Or rather, yes, he... His experience he's, is that... His idea of time is fucked up from yeah. how much time he's spent on the road. Yeah. I don't know how much more there is to talk about. I think... Uh, I think where we're headed is promising and probably weird. Um, I think the wintry bay thing catching up to Bonnie makes sense. I think Clyde kind of killing himself doesn't make sense. I think Apollo kind of killing himself doesn't really make sense. But uh, from a storytelling perspective, um, it's fine. You know, it, 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 it slims the cast. Yeah. It adds to the casualties on the list. But it seems like these casualties, the ways in which they are dying, isn't so significant. It's just how they die. You know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. deeper meaning in like, the and that's And that's what I guess I meant by, like, they're dying because of their accidents. They're not, they're not dying because the road killed them. They're dying because they're not, like, doing their job well enough, you know? Like, they didn't listen. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Like, Bonnie didn't listen to Rob. She was too kind. She was too polite. She said, bless you, and well, then guess, fucked herself. You know, that's where, that's where mm-hmm. the, the kind of stereotypical horror comes in. Yeah, no, that's where the stereotype comes in. That's exactly where it comes in. Like, you know, uh, how many times do you yell at the protagonist in a horror film telling them not to go into the fucking basement, and then they, they yeah. do it anyway? You yeah. know, like... This is that, but I, I suppose from from being a relatively creative and strong storytelling position, I had hoped to break stereotypes of people being too stupid to not listen to things. Um, but I suppose we all rely on those stereotypes from time to time. I'm not so disappointed in the fact that they're stereotypes. I'm just disappointed in the fact that this story has more or less killed half of the group over bullshit yeah took a wrong turn and then it dusted them missed the turn and you sink into the quicksand i just think no matter which way you look at it the game is simply unforgiving and i think the only death that's really stuck with me this entire time is aces and that and that was just because it was like a singularity like it was something that can only be experienced on the road whereas the other things are things you experience because you don't pay attention to the road like you aren't aware of the road gotcha it's like the difference between causing an accident and just witnessing one or being on the receiving end of one like like ace ace didn't deserve what happened to him but he did in the sense that he didn't listen to Rob by bringing a, a, a shitty car. I mean, it's still not his fault that a tree fucking fell down in the road. Yeah. You know, like, that's not on him. That's that's that. Like, Eve freaked the fuck out and got herself dead. Bonnie fucked up and got herself dead. Apollo didn't have to die. He was just being heroic. Clyde didn't have to die. He was just depressed. I think... At the end of the day, all of these are very mortal and 
understandable reasons to die, that doesn't mean I have to fucking like it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do think this is a really great story, and I think we're doing a really good job. If I do allow myself a pat on the back and you. Yeah. Um, it's probably one of the most fun experiences I've ever had on the show. I think it uh, it's up there with uh, one of... I probably... It's hard to say what my favorite episode of this show is, but I think my favorite episode of the entire show is Uncle Jerry's Family Fun Zone. <laughs> and I think this mirrors that to some level. I think uh, there's a two-sidedness to everything, and you don't quite know it until you listen to the story the entire way through at least once. And then you could re-listen to it and hopefully pick up on little facets you missed. But it's it's fun to think about, and I think this is going to be one of those stories where the end is going to prove that we should have been paying attention to something since the beginning, and we just haven't been. Like the moment with Rob, when she listened to... That yeah. harkens back two episodes ago. That's we part... Didn't, we didn't even think That's part that. one. No, of course not. We're too into the characters. We're too into the story. We don't think about a word. You don't think about a single word. You just listen to the sentence. Yeah. He said years. Years. I didn't put it together. I didn't know... Like, this is fake. I didn't know when the left-right game came into existence in the canon of the story. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Why would I think about that? That's such a minute detail, yet so important as to throw off the narrator of the story. the, The protagonist of the story. It means that Rob is full of shit. Yeah. He could be using these people as living body shields. Yeah. He could be. Or to, uh, to a worse extent as sacrifices to the road. What, what happens if he's, um, if he turns out to be a man of the road, you know, and he just, every once in a while he goes back into the mortal plane and draws more fucking people in to get killed. Who knows? Wouldn't that be something? Like a harbinger. Wouldn't that, you know, like a... He's like Charon. Like a fairy man. Like Charon. Isn't that fun to think it's about? It's really scary. Username Fairy Man. He chooses it. He chose it. Fairy of the Damned. Like we've been, we've been picking up what the what the story's been putting down to some extent. I think uh, I think it's fun, and I and I'm excited to see where it goes next. And in like Greek mythology, what was Charon's personality? Was he sympathetic? <sighs> no, he um, indifferent. Indifferent. Apathetic is a better word because. He was a slave himself. He didn't like the job, but he also didn't want to be the one in the river. Yeah. So, you know, if he's on top of the river, just kind of gliding, gliding the river by, letting all these people fall on in, you know, If this whatever. somehow turned out to be... Like, think about the way they're dying, too. What if this is like Drowning. the river sticks? Yeah. The road, the road is just the river sticks. Especially with the the whole specific tarmac and with jubilation, that's kind of like a stopping point in uh, in in Hades in the underworld. Yeah, you know, like uh, what could you liken Bonnie's death to? The Elysian Fields. I was just gonna say that the Elysian Fields. It's a um, it's a very small sector of the Greek 
yeah for the heroes of, of, of the greek underworld where the um the heroes of mortal life eventually they are promised the golden lands in a very yeah. small but it's also a sad place the elysian fields are where those who have given their life selflessly end up and i think what's sad about that is they never they never left into the fields they were dusted before they got there Almost like Bonnie's whole Bonnie and Clyde, like stealing and you know being tenacious. Almost like her thing came back and and ruined both of their afterlives. There's a lot of similarities. That's fun to think about. I kind of picked up on it with the Iliad. I said there's there's kind of a Greek nature yeah. to the story, and then we just kind of pieced together a kind of river sticks. Charon, you know, several. Uh, what are the? I feel like I'm gonna have to. How do you feel about me bringing up a description of Carol of the underworld? Yeah. Of of this of the areas of the underworld? Yeah. Oh yeah. Greek underworld description go. It's the afterlife, the moment of death, the soul is separated from the corpse taking the shape of a former person transported to the entrance. Let's see where the entrance lies. Geography. There are six main rivers that are visible both in the living and underworld. The Styx is generally considered to be one of the most prominent and central rivers of the underworld and is most widely known out of all of the rivers. It's known as the River of Hatred and is named after Styx. The river circles the underworld seven times. The Acheron, the River of Pain, is the one that Charon also knows at, known as the Ferryman. Oh, rose the God. dead over according to many mythological accounts that could also be jubilation the I, land the land of pain i want to throw up i love this realization I want to throw up <laughs> lath is the river of forgetfulness associated with the goddess lath the goddess of forgetfulness and oblivion in later accounts a poplar branch dripping with the water of lath becomes the symbol of hypnos and the god of sleep that doesn't quite have anything to do with the story. What did we, well, what about Chuck, Chuck Greenwald? Pain. Yeah. The screams of pain. That's yeah, but that's not so much sleep. Um, yeah. In the <laughs> Phlegathon, the river of fire. I do remember this one. I actually have a map of the geography of the underworld somewhere I drew in like that's middle cool. school. It's somewhere in my in my oh, in cool. my art. According to Plato, this river leads to Tartarus, which is the um. The real de depths of torturous. Oh, the titans are banned. Yeah. This is fun. Cockatus, uh, the river of wailing, which is what Chuck Greenwald was putting on the yeah. radio. Yeah. An other unearthly world of screaming and torment. All right. Oceanus, the river that encircles the world. The east edge of the world as Erebos is the west. Let me see. Okay. In front of the entrance, guilty. War, centaurs, gorgons, carry a coin. The souls that enter the underworld carry a coin under their tongue to pay Charon to take them across the river. Charon may make exceptions or allowances for visitors carrying a certain golden bow. Charon is appallingly filthy with eyes of jet fire. Dirty cloak on his shoulders. Cerberus, the three-headed dog judging Elysian okay there are three places someone can end up Tartarus 
far beneath the underworld, so dark as if night is poured around it three rows like a collar round the neck while above it grows the roots of the earth. <laughs> Tartarus is the place that Zeus cast the Titans along with Cronus. Well, Odysseus does not see himself meant. Yeah, Odysseus went to the underworld when he went to get the prophecy. The next section is the Asphodel Meadows, a place uh, for ordinary or indifferent souls who did not commit any significant crimes, but who also did not achieve any greatness or recognition that would warrant them to be admitted to the Elysian Fields. It's where mortals who did not belong anywhere else in the underworld were sent. You can arguably say Clyde and Clyde and uh, Bonnie, Bonnie, no Bonnie and Clyde essentially ended up in the Asphodel Meadows. They didn't quite make it to the Elysian Fields. Okay. As much as they landed like before it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The next is the Morning Fields, the Aenid, the Morning Fields, a section of the underworld reserved for souls who wasted their lives on unrequited love. What does that mean, unrequited? Not returned. Lilith and Eve. Essentially, yeah. Lilith yeah. didn't. Lilith didn't love Eve. Eve was kind of confessing herself to her um, upon that moment. That's true. I'd take that. That's fun. It was a big part of the conversation between her. It and was. Alice. A, it was a moderate part, but I don't think it's evident. I will acknowledge it, yeah. but I don't. But I think that is also us like trying to make a conclusion out that's, of something that's okay. very vague. Yeah. Elysium was a place for the especially distinguished. That would, they have an easy afterlife. That would be Alice at the end. Maybe. maybe. There's another one. Those who had proximity to the gods were granted admission rather than those who were especially righteous or had ethical merit. <laughs> most, most accepted to Elysium were demigods or heroes. Achilles and Peleus. Norm of people who lived righteous and virtuous lives could also gain entrance, such as Socrates, who proved his worthiness sufficiently through philosophy. Uh, the, 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 the last area of the underworld is the Isles of the Blessed, or the Fortunate Isles, in the realm of Elysium, where a soul achieved Elysium. They had a choice to either stay in Elysium or to be reborn. If a soul was reborn three times and achieved Elysium all three times, they would be sent to the Isles of Blessed to live in eternal paradise. Um, that's certainly interesting. What if, what if Rob thinks that's where the road ends? Maybe. That's kind of in line with what I said in the first episode. Immortality. Maybe. I mean, if he's Charon, I don't think he'd care. That's a very good point. That, that stands to reason that this might all be a trap and he's just taking people to the underworld. That's I don't like know. his job. Like Charon's? Yeah. Interesting. I'm certainly okay with it. I, I like I like that we us drawing those lines makes me like what we just read more. I'm not quite disappointed anymore. I think um, this might be one of those stories that so there might be more, we tie everything up. There might be more significant meaning behind the way these these characters died. Yeah, there might be if this is yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this the story could. It's end. wild. The story could end, and it could actually just completely shit on what we just all thought. But that's the fun part about being along for the ride. <laughs> I agree. I agree. The it, you know, uh, Rob could get fucked in the next chapter, and there goes our whole fairy man thing, and it just turns out to be no more than a yep. Yep. than a fun nod to care on. Yep. But it seems like we're drawing some solid lines, so I'll take it. 
I accept it. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Tanron, before we end the episode? Um, no. You know what? Last night in the deep